You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to What's New with Wired. It's Wednesday, February 9th. Today we cover how, as Russia continues to amass troops at the border, resistance groups have seen a surge in crypto donations. Before we get into today's top story, remember to check out our other Wired podcasts. Today in Wired Business, we take a look at how a fight over the right to repair cars turns ugly. Checking in on Wired Science, we delve into the international effort to save one tiny Mexican fish. And on Wired Security, privacy policies didn't tell the whole story about third-party tools gathering personal information from the sites of medical and genetic testing companies. Listen to these stories and more at wired.com podcasts. Cryptocurrency may never have fulfilled its promise as the quotidian currency for buying a cup of coffee, but it's proven to be a powerful, regulation-resistant means of sending large amounts of money anywhere in the world. That now includes war zones, or more specifically, Ukraine, a country whose long-burning limited war with Russia and pro-Russian separatists may be about to rapidly expand. Cryptocurrency payments to military and hacktivist groups in Ukraine aimed at countering Russian aggression against the country spiked sharply in the second half of 2021, according to cryptocurrency tracing and blockchain analysis firm Elliptic. Crowdfunded payments to those organizations in Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ether, and other cryptocurrencies the company tracks reached a total value of around $550,000 last year, compared to just $6,000 or so in 2020, and less still in previous years, even at the height of Russia's 2014 invasion of the country. That half a million dollars is no doubt just a small fraction of the total funds Ukrainian defense and hacktivism groups have raised by more traditional means amid Russia's recent escalations, says Tom Robinson, Elliptic's founder. But the sudden rise of cryptocurrency within these global donations demonstrates how borderless, often unregulated crypto payments could fund organizations engaged in future conflicts. Crypto is censorship-resistant, so there's no chance they're going to get their funds seized or their account shut down, like might happen with PayPal, and it's also more amenable to cross-border donations, says Robinson. It's proved itself to be a robust way to fund wars. One Ukrainian group called Come Back Alive, for instance, has raised $200,000 for Ukrainian troops in just the second half of 2021, according to Elliptic. 
The group originally solicited donations for military equipment like bulletproof vests, but it has since expanded into funding the purchase of reconnaissance and targeting systems. A more controversial group called the Mirat Vorets, Ukrainian for Peacemakers Center, has publicly named and shamed alleged supporters of Russia or pro-Russian separatists in Ukraine, at least two of whom were subsequently assassinated. Mirat Vorets has raised $268,000 in cryptocurrency to date, Elliptic says, of which $237,000 came just in the second half of last year. Pro-Ukrainian hacktivists, too, have increasingly funded their digital resistance through cryptocurrency. Elliptic traced around $100,000 worth of crypto donations to a hacker group called the Ukrainian Cyber Alliance, which has been responsible for numerous hack-and-leak and web defacement operations targeting Russians and Russian government agencies. Cyber Partisans, a Belarusian hacktivist group that gained global attention by launching a politically motivated ransomware attack on Belarus's rail system, has also raised around $84,000 in cryptocurrency. Elliptic included that number in its $555,000 total, despite the group self-identifying as Belarusian rather than Ukrainian, due to the hackers' support of Ukraine and demand that Belarusian railways cease transporting Russian troops in preparation for any invasion of Ukraine. Payment to Ukrainian war effort organizations or even pro-Ukrainian hacktivists aren't necessarily illegal or in violation of any sanctions. But the Mirodvorets Center said that at least one of its PayPal accounts, intended to fund a facial recognition program, was seized due to complaints about terrorists and Russians. Cryptocurrency exchanges that convert donated Bitcoin into dollars or Ukrainian hryvna, on the other hand, are often far less closely regulated. And Elliptics Robinson argues that cryptocurrency offers advantages to donors who may not want their banking records to show that they sent money to organizations that might be perceived as paramilitary groups. If I were going to make a donation of this kind, I'd be much better off using crypto than a bank transfer, Robinson says. The disadvantage of cryptocurrency, of course, is that in some respects, it's even less private than the traditional banking system, as Elliptic's own ability to track the Ukrainian group's donations through blockchain analysis shows. Elliptic competitor Chainalysis, for instance, identified a software developer in France who donated $500,000 to many participants in the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Robinson says that Elliptic didn't attempt to identify individual donors to the Ukrainian groups, though it might be possible to do so with some legwork, especially if a government agency demanded identifying information from cryptocurrency exchanges. Nor are international cryptocurrency donations intended for military operations always immune to seizure. In another group of cases announced in August 2020, the U.S. Justice Department traced and confiscated about half a million dollars worth of cryptocurrency donations from a collection of designated terrorist organizations, including the militant wing of the Palestinian group Hamas known as the Al-Qassam Brigades. Elliptic says that each of the recipients named in its analysis had publicly posted cryptocurrency addresses to receive donations, addresses that rarely changed or didn't change at all in some cases. That sort of static address makes cryptocurrency tracing trivial compared to cases in which the recipient generates a new address to every donor. This is very bad operational security, and by this point, not really excusable, says Alex Gladstein, the chief strategy officer for Human Rights Foundation and a longtime advocate of using Bitcoin in democratic resistance movements. It's not that difficult to receive Bitcoin payments without address reuse, he says. But Gladstein also points out that privacy likely isn't the priority for organizations that are potentially fighting for survival. Aside from Ukraine, he points to Belarusians' struggle with the country's pro-Russian dictatorship, 
in which millions of dollars in Bitcoin donations have helped keep striking workers afloat. It's really been a lifeline for the resistance, Gladstein says. The rise of cryptocurrency to fund Ukraine's resistance against the Russian threat looming on its border points to a growing awareness of the same phenomenon, he says. A tough-to-censor form of finance for truly borderless fundraising. It's definitely a sign of the times, says Gladstein. People are figuring out that if their bank accounts get shut down, that they have another option. Thanks for listening to Wired. Check back in tomorrow to hear more stories from Wired.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.